Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're on the seventh lesson of our second quarter of 2021, all about the promise, God's everlasting covenant. Today, we're looking at the lesson entitled Covenant at Sinai. And I don't know how they couldn't have worded it any different because it's talking about their departure from Egypt to the foot of Mount Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments and all the things that go with it. So there which, is Which a lot is to often cover. referred to as the Old Covenant. The Old this Covenant, the, in fact, yes. Yeah. Even though that term is not in our lesson here, a lot of people might be thinking that. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see how it continues even to this day. But before we do any of that, we need to have a word of prayer. Pastor Howard, would you pray for us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We ask now you would bless our study of it. Send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding. Bless our Sabbath school teachers and students as they seek to both teach and learn more of your will for their lives, that we may be that special people you've called us to be. We ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, this, uh, as I mentioned before, and it is loosely tied to Sabbath afternoon here, it said this week's lesson, our introduction says, this week's lesson looks at the covenant God established with Israel after mm -hmm. he delivered them from Egypt. It includes the Ten Commandments, the establishment of the sanctuary, and provides invaluable insights into God's plan of salvation. So again, the redemption out of Egypt is just a part of this. It's going to go further mm -hmm. now and look at their Mount Sinai experience and even the establishment of the sanctuary and how those relate to the plan of Very redemption. Very good. So what are our talking points this week? Talking point number one is very simple. God is our deliverer. Amen. Amen. The point that I think you've been recently going for contentious, trying to stir the pot, and I'm like, let's make everybody happy. God is our deliverer. Yeah. Uh, that comes primarily from Sunday and Monday's lessons. Talking point number two, the covenant involves the law and the sanctuary. So the covenant that God established, he's going to set up the law at Mount Sinai, then give instructions to the sanctuary, and how does it all work together? We're going to see that one coming primarily, not exclusively, from Tuesday. And then number three, the covenant requires obedience. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. It was so good so far. Right? <laughs> keeping everybody happy, I thought. And so you got the, the, that word, the O word in there. there. Yeah, it's no good. But it <laughs> is a fact as recorded in Scripture in the spirit of prophecy and even touched on explicitly in the lesson today. So I thought there were some mm. good good comments here. And those are going to be drawn from Wednesday In fact, and building Thursdays. a lot on what we looked at last. Exactly. Uh, last and I think that if people have been tuned into these lessons or tuned into our study of them, you're going to see that this obedience, almost, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to say tension between grace and obedience, but there's definitely a, a harmonious cooperation between our mm -hmm. obedience and God's covenant. It's going to be a repeated theme, I think, going forward as well. Anyway, so let's go back to number one. God is our deliverer. Now, <laughs> I said I want to make everybody happy, but I'm going to start with a little contention right off the bat. I and figured it was coming. He figured it was coming. Now, if, friends, if you have your quarterlies, the standard edition is page 56, the teacher's edition is page 85, but it's a, it's the Sunday, it's the Sabbath afternoon introduction, which you think, you know, that's pretty non-controversial. What could be there? Well, notice in the second paragraph it said, Israel's deliverance from, quote, centuries of slavery and oppression was a marvelous exhibition of divine grace. No, no doubt it was a marvelous exhibition of divine grace, but what is this idea of centuries, plural, of slavery and oppression? Tell us about it, Cameron. Well, the plot thickens <laughs> as you turn the page to the very beginning sentence of Sunday's lesson. It says, as a people, Israel had been immersed in Egyptian paganism for, quote, 
many long, hard centuries, an experience that no doubt dimmed their knowledge of God and his will, his will and his goodness. Now, technically immersed in Egyptian paganism is probably true for more than a hundred years, more than several centuries. And the, there's a thing well, that, you, you know, know that in the scripture it brings up a period of 400 years in Genesis yes. 15, the 400 years of slavery. Of course, mm-hmm. Paul throws a wrench in it in Galatians and calls it the 430 years. Right. But the point is that's most people don't go further. If you ask this the man on the street, years, that must be they must have been in Egyptian bondage for 400. Right. If you years. ask the uh, maybe not the man on the street, but the the person in the pew, right, yeah. and say how long was Israel enslaved in Egypt? I guarantee they're going to say 400 years. Mm-hmm. Always. When the reality is a little bit more nuanced, and I, and I think, well, why are you spending time on this? Well, I think it's an important point, as we'll see here in just a minute. First of all, if you want to study this out, wait for it. Yeah, it's go coming. to the most obscure reference you'll probably ever hear us uh, indicate here, and that is note three in the appendix of Patriarchs and Prophets. Okay? But it's a great little Bible study, only half a page long or so, that walks through this note issue. Note three. Note three in Patriarchs and Prophets Appendix. But let's walk it through a little bit. First Mm -hmm. of all, that 400, as Genesis 15 talks about, or the Galatians 3, 430 years of Israel's suffering, if you look at it closely, it actually began during the lifetime of Abraham. Okay? And so... Long before they were Long before Egypt was even on the radar screen, right? It... Uh, it was 215 of those 430 years, exactly half of that time, just going from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and finally during the time of Jacob's yes. senior citizenhood, you know, when Joseph was taken down in Egypt, that the household of Jacob went into the land. So 215 years. And still years, they weren't slaves. Exactly. They, 215 years just to get to Egypt. In fact, they were, had a pretty cushy when they first exactly. went Exactly. And land. how did they come in? They weren't like captives, like no, you know, the Babylonians came in. in no, for... the land of Goshen. They were refugees in this hunger, you know, and they were given the best of the land under Joseph's care. So all so good. In fact, in fact is, didn't the oppression start with from the Egyptians because they were concerned because the Israelites were so prosperous yes, and healthy? Yes, and interestingly, and, by the way, when they went into Egypt, the Bible tells us it was about 70 members of their household. So they're like, yeah, you can have a plot of land, some yeah. acres up in Goshen, no problem. But after Joseph and, quote, all that generation died and the land became filled with them, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph and right. they start. That's when the oppression started to occur, right? Sure. And so we know it was in the last half of the 200, the, of the 430 years, 215 years, and Joseph and all that generation had to die long enough that another generation didn't even know Joseph. So by best estimates, this is just my guess, is probably 100 years, maybe mm-hmm. 150 or so. But it wasn't like seven generations were mm-hmm. you know, beaten out of their mind the knowledge of God. It just wasn't that way. They so why had is it. this important? This is important because it doesn't take centuries of apostasy for people to lose sight of God. It doesn't take, I mean, sorry, centuries of oppression right. and persecution and enslavement for people to be, you know. Friends, how quickly do we even fall away now? You know, mm. and this is going to be a theme towards the end of this lesson yeah, is that we it's see not that come out in our exactly. This week. It, it, sometimes, like last week, we talked about how people try to talk about the broken relationship. That's the excuse for sin. Sometimes we say, well, you know, the Israelites, they didn't know any better. They were hundreds of years enslaved. They were basically yeah. animals at that point. Well, no, they weren't. <laughs> you know, they, they still had volition in minds. They were just yeah. in apostasy. Okay. Now, the lesson does bring out, though, that they had been immersed in Egyptian paganism yes. for many long, hard centuries. Um, and they don't have they, they, to be well, slaves to be exactly. immersed in a culture. That's my point. So they may have been drifting away for quite some time before the physical oppression started up. Sure. But either way, they had definitely drifted away from the Lord. Nevertheless, and praise the Lord, God miraculously delivered the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. Okay? And uh, you see this in 
Exodus chapter 19 and Deuteronomy 32 as they're listed out on Sunday's yeah. lesson. Uh, the two metaphors the Bible invokes for how God led his people out. One is the eagle's wings, again from Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 32. Mm -hmm. And the other was as a son, you know, revives, uh, as a father revives his son and carries him up and, and builds him up. That's how the Lord, in his concern for the people of Israel, drew them up out of Egypt. The, son, uh, the lesson brings this out in uh, Sunday, paragraph 3. Can you read that for us, Mark, in sure. both the figures right there? Uh, in both the figures of the eagle and the parent carrying his child, we sense God's concern for our well-being. Tender, supportive, protective, encouraging, he desires to bring us to full maturity. Now, I find that a fantastic statement. God's desire for us, well, let's just talk about the, the actual time of the Egyptian bondage there yes. and Israel's deliverance. God's aim for their deliverance was not merely to get them out of harm's way and, you know, rescue right. them from the physical slavery of Egypt. He had a bigger plan in mind, as it alludes to there. He desires to bring us to full maturity. Right. Okay. Now, as the eagle stirs the up eagle, its nest. Right. Now, how does an I've never thought about this before, really, but I always think, well, eagle's a big, powerful bird, and he's going to yeah. carry a lot of weight, and he's going to carry you out <laughs> and pick you up, right? But... This is an interesting thing that Quarterly brings out on Sunday's lesson here. It says, the eagle, this is paragraph four, the eagle is known for its unusual devotions to its young. It too lived on mountaintops. In teaching its young to fly, it carried them upon its back to those great heights that overlook the plains of Sinai. Then it dropped them down into the depths. As you do your kids. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, how does an eagle, it doesn't just doesn't just take it away and just the baby just lives on the back forever, mm. right? The point was to build it up. If the baby was still too young and too bewildered to fly, Father Eagle would swoop down beneath it, catch it on his back, and fly up again with it to the eyrie on the crags above. And that, says the divine voice, is how, quote, I brought you out of Egypt mm. to myself. So the purpose of God's taking them out of Egypt wasn't just to strap them to his back and vine, I'm just going to carry you here on out, mm. this is now your new life. The goal was to get them out and bring them, as the lesson says, to full maturity, to help them grow and develop. And that's what God yes. wants to do with his people. And then on uh, Monday's lesson, this theme continues of how God does this. You can read, in fact, read Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It's quoted in the lesson there, if you would, on Monday. Sure. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Mm. Well, clearly one of the repeated themes in that is, I will, I will. As we've mentioned in previous lessons, God mm -hmm. takes the initiative. He's going, I'm going to be the active agent in this, and I'm going to come and redeem you. And interestingly, that, that idea of a redeemer, Yeah. Um, this is an interesting thing. Um, in the middle of our lesson there on Monday, it explains this a little bit. It says, the word redeem... In verse 6, that we just read there, of Exodus 6, refers to a member of a family buying back or ransoming another member of the family, especially when that member was in slavery for debt or about to go into slavery. Mm -hmm. So in the custom of those times, if you were in debt or if you'd gotten yourself into some trouble, you could literally be owned. You could be yes. in servitude to this other person to pay to off pay those off debts. Debt. Right? Mm -hmm. 
And if, and if it was such a large debt, it could never be repaid. That could be essentially a life sentence. But <laughs> it's called student loans. Exactly. <laughs> Let's not get into the politics of it. But people are probably way too familiar with debt, yeah. home loans, student loans, yes. credit card debt anyway. But that's what happened back then. And there was such a thing as a, quote, kinsman redeemer, yes. right? Or a goel, right? This idea that there's somebody from your family outside of your circumstance, but related to you, that yes. could step in come into your problem and buy you back and take you back home. That's right. And that's the imagery that God uses for how he got Egypt out. He's like, you're my people. You've been in debt. You've gotten yourself in trouble. But I'm going to step in and redeem and bring you back to myself. It's a beautiful image. And you were bringing up in our discussion prior to this that the, the Lord could have just made an announcement. I don't know if that's coming up. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great point. Just send in a, you know rather than actually leading them out. Well, a lot of our Christianity today, um, not just you know in generic Christianity, but also in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you hear a lot about like God pronouncing people, or we look at, for instance, Genesis chapter 15, where the Lord declared, he, he, he uh, what's the phrasing, where he saw uh, Abraham. Right, Abraham believed God. Believed and he, Lord, he was accounted to him as righteousness. So he didn't actually have to be righteous, he had to be accounted. And we right. like to say, well, he just, God just calls you good. But what if God had said to Moses, go back and tell the Israelites that they are free? Good news, everyone. Mm -hmm, yeah. God has credited you as free individuals. Well, when are we leaving? Oh, you're not leaving. You're staying here. But he calls you free. It's like God does more than merely calls us free. He you're actually technically free. Yeah, you are actually free. He's going to lead you out and you're going to be free. And so the freedom that God offers us in the redemption plan is not just on paper. Yes. It's not just a reckoning. It's like, well, I know you're actually suffering under sin and you're still going to keep falling. Mm -hmm. All the problems are going to be, but I've, I've thought of you as good. He actually makes us good. Yes. And the Egyptian and the leading bondage into, and coming out of that. Yeah. Uh, the leading into freedom is, is powerful too. The mm -hmm. whole idea of the kinsman redeemer is the kinsman redeemer it was qualified by being the closest, the nearest of yes. kin. And of course, that speaks to that Jesus condescended to take upon himself yes. humanity, God come us. down where we are, and then lead us out. Yes. And that this this is the experience of being led out. Yes, even and that's why he's called the captain of salvation, the author that's and right. finisher. Like, he comes into it and leads us out of it. Beautiful. Awesome. All right, so anyway, God is our deliverer. A lot to talk about in talking yes. point number two, one, but let's go to number two. The covenant involves the law and the sanctuary. Okay, this is drawn mainly from Tuesday, right? Yes, this is from Tuesdays, and I think it's a, there is a lot. Honestly, you could spend the better part of the whole lesson, if you were so inclined, just on the material found on Tuesday, because there it talks about the covenant that God gives to Israel, He offers them. The which three major his, events. Right, how they're, well, let's just look at this. For instance, the first paragraph there explains Yeah. Like three mountains, the Exodus itself, the establishment of the covenant, and the building of the tabernacle sanctuary rise above the foothills of lesser happenings. So there's right. lots of covers in the books of the jar. Those are the big rocks in the jar. And of those three, it calls the establishment of the covenant, where God gives the Ten Commandment law and calls his people, a peculiar people, as, quote, the Mount Everest of them, mm -hmm. right? It's the biggest rock in the jar. And there's a lot that we could talk about there, but God didn't just lead them out of Egypt into a land of opportunity and say, well, have at it. Have at it. Good luck. <laughs> you know, have fun. He doesn't say that. He says, now that I brought you out, here's how it's going to work. Yeah. And he lays out the conditions of the covenant, the standards of his kingdom, the law of his government in the Ten Commandments. 
Well, and, and of course he gave them the sanctuary, and it says there on Tuesday's lesson in the third paragraph down, um, he wanted to redeem them from sin, the ultimate slavery, mm -hmm. and this could happen only through the sacrifice of the Messiah as taught in the types and symbols of the sanctuary service. Exactly. Thus, and, and I've got it in the talk boys here, but you can find it on that same lesson. The very next sentence says, It is no wonder then that not long after they were redeemed from bondage and given the law, the Israelites were instructed to build the sanctuary and establish its services. For in these things God revealed to them the plan of redemption, which is the true meaning and purpose of the covenant. Now, again, he brings these three points out. There's the physical deliverance. Mm -hmm. There's the giving of the law and yes. the, covenant the covenant agreement. agreement. Yep. And then there's the sanctuary. And how does the law and the sanctuary relate? And there's so much, again, we well, can go into Well, the sanctuary is so often left out in discussion of the Old Covenant. Because mm. we, we focus in on, well, all the people said that all God has spoken we will do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are we'll elements in a minute, of it. Yeah. But the, they're... they're you rarely hear people bring up the idea that it wasn't, they weren't clueless mm -hmm. about the Messiah. The Old Covenant was not Christless. Mm. Christ was in the types of the sanctuary. Like that, that the people didn't take it to heart. They didn't, yeah. didn't but it was there. Right. And it was an integral part of that whole experience. Like when God gave the law to Moses, he stayed up in the mountain yes. for 40 days and God outlined to him all of the minutia having to do with the sanctuary, every piece of it speaking of Christ. Well, and I think you're, that's a great point. We often forget that the same Sinai and the same experience where he gets the Ten Commandments, he also gets the instructions for the sanctuary. One's in Exodus mm -hmm. 20, the other's in 25. I mean, it's right there. So much so, his face was glowing with the right. glory of God when he came down from the mountain. And, of course, the sanctuary in the inner court of it, in the most holy place inside the Ark of the Covenant, was yes. the location of the law. So they're physically linked yes. together. They're spiritually linked together. There's not. It's not as though God had a law, and they tried to keep it for a while, then they broke it, and later on he's like, you know what, I need a plan to come up. Right. Also, it wasn't you an afterthought. You know what, you need a redeemer. Maybe right. I should have thought about that. Right. In the no, From the very right beginning, it's all and part and parcel. Yes. And so I love how the lesson links those two things together. The, the commandments work hand in hand with Absolutely. the sanctuary process. In fact, in Acts of the Apostles, page 14, um, it's there in our yes. study notes. Would you read that for us, please? Through, through the teachings of the sacrificial service, Christ was to be uplifted before all nations, and all who would look to him should live. Christ was the foundation of the Jewish economy. The whole system of types and symbols was a compacted prophecy of the gospel. Powerful mm -hmm. uh, 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 imagery there. A presentation in which were bound up the promises of redemption. Right. So again, the law of God, the promises of God, if they were to obey, those curses if they were not, the whole plan. The how sanctuary, you a compacted prophecy of the gospel. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible. Powerful stuff. Yeah. So again, to your point, there's no way you can look back and say like that Old Testament, too bad they didn't have Jesus. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Abraham saw his day and was glad. That's I mean, exactly Moses right. has this picture drawn out. It's Christ from first to last. Anyway, point number three. Let's get into this one. And again, it's a recurring theme, but yes. this is drawn from Wednesday and Thursday's lessons. That the well, and this springboards well off of our last point. Yes. Because it's the blending of, really what you have is the blending of the law, and if the sanctuary is a compacted prophecy of the gospel, the law and the, the law gospel. and the gospel, which 
go together. Ellen White makes a statement that in no sermon should they be separated, should they not be, because they're complementary. Well, how, how often do you see the law and the gospel, or as we mentioned, the Ten Commandments in the sanctuary, as like, oh, this was the thing, but this broke down, right. so we had to have this one, or this one is a counterbalance to that one. Like, this is the nice one, this is the mean one. Oh, yeah, it's always <laughs> this good God, bad God, yeah. you know, and it's this balancing act like well we we talked a little bit about obedience so we need well, to talk about exactly. grace and then we, oh we talked about grace we need to talk about like i imagine this teeter-totter and yeah. you're running back here yeah. and then you're running over here and you're running over here yeah. as if that's what yeah. needs to happen where the blending of the two is a perfect balance it's right and one it's isn't God's... the good one wasn't the bad right. one they're all good from start to finish and it's all for our benefit praise the lord he wants to give us his law as a standard of his of his kingdom and he wants to help us attain it through the mercies of christ what, what, what is ellen might say maybe i have her wording wrong or maybe i have somebody else but the law is the gospel concealed mm. and the gospel is the law revealed mm-hmm. have you ever heard that one? i have heard that yeah so yeah it's both true. speaking of the same Thing. They go together. Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 19, because we're going to look at two verses. Honestly, that's what happens on Wednesday, is they break down Exodus 19, 5, and 6, and on Thursday, it looks at verses 7 and 8. So, let's start with Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Can you read that for us if you I have I can it? after I say this one thing. I, something okay. else came to my mind. Uh, you know, a lot of times you hear Ellen White made this statement in the height of the 1888 controversy and the d- debate over the law and mm-hmm. Galatians and all these things, and you hear it misquoted all the time where Ellen White said, well, we used to speak the law, the law, the law, and not Christ, and Ellen White said we need to speak Christ and not the law, and it... That's, That's not what she not said. What she said. What she said is, we we we've preached the law, the law until so we're what dry drives the hills of Gabal. And she says, what we need to preach is Christ in the law. Mm-hmm. She she never separated, never did this one or Christ the other. or the law. It's right. Christ in the law. It's Christ in the law. Beautiful. Now where were we? Exodus chapter nineteen. Yes. Well, I already have that, so you can be looking up. Well, let's go to Exodus nineteen. You're going to need it anyway. Um, but I'll read verses 5 and 6 for this point, and yes. then later you can read 7 and 8. But for right now, the Lord says at Mount Sinai to his people, in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. So clearly... As we talked about last week, and I'm guessing we're going to talk about in subsequent Mm -hmm. weeks, that all of this wonderful uh, redemption plan and salvation process that God had outlined from their deliverance from Egypt to the giving of the law to the establishment of the sanctuary is all God's instigation, his power, his doing. And he says, now, if you obey, it's it's repeated theme. and the lesson even brings this out, which I was honestly a little bit surprised at, but it's a good point. Uh, it's found on Wednesday's first paragraph. It said, though in one sense the Lord had called them out, the calling was not automatically bestowed upon them without their choice. So you know, it's interesting. It, it, the Bible never says, and the Lord dragged them out of Egypt. Right. It just says he called them, in, implying that they had to respond to the call, right? goes on, they had to cooperate even their deliverance from Egypt involved their cooperation. Sure. If they had not done what the Lord had said, such as putting the blood on the doorpost, they would not have been delivered. Right. It was that simple. And they weren't. There were some that weren't. It was right. plain. Yeah. And the people who the didn't go out were the ones who did. And so clearly, God has the power to do these things. It's his plan. It's his instigation. Right. Yet... Though the Lord instigates, we have to cooperate. That's right. And the lesson brings that out. And 
I don't know of another term besides obey. No, in our That's what cooperation, we've talked about this before, our obedience is our response of faith. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the measure, measure of faith God puts in us. It's the Spirit of God working on our hearts to will and to do of His good pleasure. Right. But He won't do the willing or the doing. He'll work in us to will and to do. Exactly. And, and so... Uh, it's got to be our choice. At, at the end of the day, it's our choice. God will not force us. And, mm -hmm. and we, we can all say that and agree with that, but then we get into these kind of discussions. As soon as what obedience we're really comes up, saying yeah. is, no, God forces us. I want God to force me. No, you don't. He's no. not going to force you. That's right. He's going to leave your free moral agency intact That's and right. simply appeal for your decision, right? And Ellen White brings this out, and it's also in Wednesday's lesson from Steps to Christ, page 61. It's a mm. well-known passage. Yes. Quote, we do not earn salvation by our obedience, for salvation is the free gift of God to receive by faith. But obedience is the fruit of faith. That's right. So the covenant does require obedience, not as the cause of our salvation, but right. as a necessary condition of and it. And you probably, I don't know that we talked about this before, but I'm sure you've seen it before. When you go to Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, mm -hmm. it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, everybody does something. You ever <laughs> notice that? Yes, by faith words, they did. Faith moves every one of them to act. Mm -hmm. Because, just as Ellen White said there, faith is the fruit is the fruit of um and obedience, obedience is, rather, the fruit is, of faith. is the fruit of faith yeah yeah well to that point now could you read verses seven and eight still in exodus yes. 19. so verse seven says so moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the lord commanded him then all the people answered together and said all that the lord has spoken we will do so moses brought back the words of the people to the lord now I can tell you, I've heard more than one sermon quote that passage Brother, and say... Brother, I can't even count the number of sermons that I've heard. They this say, that's resident. the problem right there. They sat there and they agreed to obey. They just said, we'll do whatever you right. say. And my question is, what were they supposed to do? No, nope, we're not going to obey. It's like Forget pledge it. their disobedience, you yeah. know? So, of course, and so there's nothing wrong with the desire to obey the Lord or recognizing the sheer fact that, okay, you've right. said do it, my response is to do it. So what was the actual problem there? Yeah. If there was a problem, because clearly it didn't work. And one of my favorite passages on this is in Deuteronomy, okay. where Moses recounts this experience, and then he spells out specifically what God says the problem is. Starting in verse 27, um, nope, I'm in the wrong chapter, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 5, Starting in verse 27, it says, and he's quoting the words of the people, they told Moses, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. Hmm. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. So the Lord himself says it's the right thing was, to respond They that said way. exactly the right thing when they said all that the Lord has said we will do. Like you said, what else are you going to say? All that he said we're not going to do? Yeah. Part of what he said we're going to do? Yeah. But then the Lord identifies the problem in the very next verse. So I'm going to read those again. Uh, and the Lord said, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Verse 29, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me always and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their mm. children forever. So it's like the words are great if only it really sunk in deep. As long as it came from 
this place of faith and love. He's calling for conversion. They needed a converted heart. They needed a heart to obey. The issue with God's people has always been a lack of conversion. You must Mm. be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, Hebrews talks about this, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, speaking of ancient Israel, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So it wasn't the law was wrong, or God's declaration to them to obey was wrong, or even their response to obey was wrong. It was the condition of their heart to stay in that relationship with Jesus and follow right. as they had committed to. And you have in the outline Romans 9, 31 to 33, where yep. Paul says something similar, the same idea. Same idea They were lacking faith. They right. had the, 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 the faith that brings about, generates a heartfelt obedience. Exactly. Which kind of brings us to our conclusion here a little bit, but at, at the bottom of the number three in the notes, Uh, It quotes from the quarterly in Thursday's lesson, paragraph two, says, The problem, of course, was not their attempt to obey. The covenant demanded that they obey. The problem was the kind of obedience they rendered, which wasn't really obedience at all, as the subsequent history of the nation showed. And that's an interesting foreshadowing. What do we know about what happened after the law was given to Mount Sinai? It's at the foot of Mount Sinai that they make the golden calf. So we go back to our generations and generations of 400 years in Egypt, and as you were pointing out, it doesn't take that long. It didn't take them 40 days to be into apostasy after entering into the presence of God. Right, so what was their excuse? It was the the issue of the heart. That's the problem. It's just, and another analogy I think of is like, how long did it take Peter to fall? Well, the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, That's boom. Right. So Israel sinks into apostasy. We sink into sin, not because we're so oppressed by everything else, but because the condition of our heart, We, as soon as we turn away from Jesus and that eye of faith, we are doomed to failure. So only in Christ do we have success That's in the Christian right. life. Why don't you read for us the concluding thought there from Friday. On Friday, under the summary, it says, The covenant God formed with Israel at Sinai was a covenant of grace. And it goes on to say, Although Israel responded in the affirmative, they lacked a true faith motivated by love. Their later history indicates that for the most part, they failed to understand the true nature of the covenant and corrupted it into a salvation by work system. We need not follow Israel's failure and ignore the marvelous grace that has been extended to sinners. Amen. So it's fascinating history, but there's more than that. It's a valuable lesson for us today that we need to be in that covenant. It's good to say, yes, I'll obey, but we need to look to Jesus for the strength to actually follow through. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these important lessons. Thank you for recording for us the history of Israel and your gracious dealings with them, the covenant that you established, the law of God, and the sanctuary process, all of which points to Jesus. Help us to remember that the same covenant, the same law, the same Jesus is in effect now, and to learn our lessons from what they did and say, Lord, we want to obey. Give us a heart to obey. Give us that new life, that new mind of Christ to actually be faithful. So, Lord, lead us out in reality, not just on paper, but truly deliver us from evil. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.